Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Hey y'all, and welcome to Touches Objects Podcast, the podcast that aims to break the silence that tends to come with conversations around domestic and sexual violence. I'm Sean. And I'm Amanda. And today we're going to be talking about what it's like entering a domestic violence shelter with our special guest, Amanda Johnson. So thank you for joining us today, Amanda. Thank you for having me. So we kind of figured we want to end the end of the year on this kind of conversation in part because for a lot of people, entering shelter can be a scary thing or a hard thing to even do. So we figured if we have this conversation now, this can be something that people can listen to, especially if they're working through things and thinking that maybe emergency shelter is something for them, that this kind of demystifies some of that process. So before we jump into the conversation, though, Amanda, do you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm Amanda Johnson, and I'm the program director at a local domestic violence organization. I've been here about five years now, and before that, I was in housing and homelessness. Um, in that field, helping individuals who are homeless into housing. Awesome. So really, Amanda, just kind of jumping in then, what is a domestic violence, like emergency shelter? Ah, That's a good question. So a domestic violence emergency shelter is basically an emergency shelter, but we have that expertise. Um, We have that knowledge, that skill set to understand really the domestic violence situation, because that has so many different caveats and so many different ways it can manifest. And a lot of times, um, traditional emergency shelters, they know a little bit, but they're not the experts. They don't know what's going on. They don't know um, even that that survivors are all different. And sometimes healing looks in a variety of ways. um, And trauma can experience the ways you experience trauma can manifest in a variety of ways. Um, And so we know that we've gotten a lot of training on that. um, And we we're just a little bit more understanding of the ways that that can happen. Um, And so it's really that expertise that we have, um, in addition to the additional safety aspects that we have in all of our shelters. Amanda, do you want to um, maybe explain the difference a little bit between a homeless shelter and a domestic violence homeless shelter and where those those borders kind of are like obviously there's a lot of overlap in them um but you know i i know as a shelter um we get a lot of calls for people who are experiencing homelessness and we have to turn them away because you know which i'm hoping you'll go into um and i just i want people to understand that because um it can be really frustrating if you're looking for shelter and you're calling these places that say they're a shelter and you're just like, oh, sorry, you don't meet our criteria. And they're like, well, what else could I have to do? I'm living on the street. So do you want to go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you explained it very, very well uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're primarily here as a shelter, as a place for as you're fleeing domestic violence, intimate partner, um, sexual assault. So that way you do have a place. Um, because often those relationships are are so violent in a variety of ways. Um, it doesn't have to be physical. It can be emotional. It can be financial. All of those different ways. Um, 
and we're here for those individuals um because again there is that trauma you do there is a healing process to it and so we we have the expertise we know what's going on um and we're there for those individuals that are experiencing that um general general shelters um they're there for those that are homeless that do not have a place to stay that night um which is a little bit different yeah. thank you and you mentioned earlier a little earlier too about the safety that you have put in place so do you want to kind of run through a little bit like what that looks like for your shelter absolutely yes yeah so um we have a quite a few different safety aspects here. Um, so first and foremost, for for I feel like every domestic violence shelter, um, you're you're not in the shelter, you're not in the building unless we know who you are. We have no assailants on the property. Um, for us, we have an alarm system that is in our building twenty four seven, always armed. Um, we have panic alarms. We have a gated back parking lot. So if you are a survivor that is worried about your assailant looking for your vehicle throughout the community and knowing where you are, we have a place where you can park that is completely secure, completely blocked off from traffic. Nobody can see where you're parking. Um, in addition to that, again, we have a um, door entry system where, again, it's never unlocked. You always have to be let in the building um, and those types of things. We also have cameras um, around the outside of our building. So that way we know if an assailant's there, if somebody that's not supposed to be there is there, um, we know. So that way we can um, do whatever we need to do, whether it be, hey, you need to move on or even calling the police when need be. Um, we have that ability. Awesome. It's one of my favorite stories from when I first started working with the domestic violence shelter because going to try to get into shelter to like do meetings and stuff i would like always buzz in and one time i remember they didn't turn off the speaker and they so i heard someone ask like do we have a sean who works here i'm like i've been here for like a year and a half to like just to show you like the level of security to get into the shelter it's like even myself who has worked there i was like i still couldn't get in like without somebody letting me in so well, yeah and even if it's a little questionable where we're like we think that looks like sean we're still gonna ask who are you <laughs> what is your name and why are you here um because we we value our survivors those are the individuals that we're serving um and so we know that it is our duty to maintain our safety yeah it's like i'm perfect like obviously like doing the work that I do is like, I'm fine with getting those questions because I understand like why they're being asked and I would prefer them to be asked versus just like letting me in. It's the same thing. Like if I were to say like, if I go to a bar and a bartender comes up to me and like says something like, Hey, like, can like you go or like something like that? I'm like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's like, if I was doing something that possibly came off as where I'm making somebody uncomfortable. Like I would much prefer them to ask me to leave or I would much prefer them to go up to somebody who would, if they misread a situation versus them not doing anything. Exactly. So then looking at getting into emergency shelter. So we talked about obviously like the security to get in there, but if I was a survivor seeking out services or seeking out an emergency shelter, what does that process look like? Huh. Yep. So the first step is to contact us. Um, so every organization, domestic violence organization, has a variety of ways, um, whether it be the helpline where you just 
give us a call. Um, it could be, you know, where we're located. So you say, hey, you walk on in um, and are seeking help face to face. Um, most have text lines or some sort of over the internet way to get in contact with us, whether it be email, some have web chat. Um, so that way there is a multitude of ways where you can get in contact with us because that is always the first step. Um, in addition to that, we do most have on-call um, programs where if you are at the hospital or if you're in contact with emergency personnel, um, we can go there and meet you there. Um, I know at my organization, we've met people at the hospital, the dentist office, the school systems. Um, we've been we've been anywhere and everywhere that might be safe because that's our number one priority is keeping you safe. Right. And some people aren't necessarily safe to make that phone call from home. Um, so they have to do it when they are somewhere else that's maybe official. So like you said, if you're at the dentist office, maybe your assailant didn't follow you into the room at the dentist office and that's where you can make a call. So, um, yeah, there's just there's there's lots of different ways that you can get into service. But the hardest part for most people is making that first step, deciding that they want to try and make that call or go in and seek services. <clears throat> and so, um, Amanda, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, how someone might get to the point where they're deciding because communal living's hard, right? I mean, that's something that people who work in shelters can all agree on. Um, this usually isn't people's first choice. They will go through a lot of things to try and avoid coming into a shelter. But um, do you want to talk about kind of that aspect of it a little bit? Like just, I mean, you're going to do a better job than I will. I can keep talking, but you'll, you'll do a better <laughs> job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that we do have a shelter and that that is usually the way people get in contact with us. But we, I think every domestic violence organization, we all have non-residential services as well. So if you're not to that point where you need to go into a shelter, but you're still thinking, I need, I would like some services, feel free to still give us a call. We're there for you. Um, but for shelter, it there's usually a variety of ways where you get to that point. I do agree, communal living is never fun for anybody. Um, but thankfully, I know for our shelter, every household gets their own room upstairs in shelter. So that way you have your own safe space, your own private space. Um, I know for my own self, that would be key um, because I would just want some place to go to heal where I have the ability to control like what's in my life and what's in my area. Um, but really, it, getting to the point of shelter, usually it just gets so bad, right? And you see the cycle of, you know, it getting bad and then the honeymoon phase and all of that, which I'm sure you've already talked about in your podcast multiple times. Um, but it, there's just that one part where you just come to the realization that I need to leave. This isn't working. This isn't... Um, this keeps continuing. So I need to make that, I need to make that change. I, I need to need to leave. Um, and sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes you can go back and forth a, a variety of a variety of times. Um, and we're still always there for you. Um, so whenever you know that you need to leave, we are there. So when somebody is then, so let's say somebody has now entered into the shelter. So they've gone through the steps, they've reached out, They've made that hard decision to where, yes, I need to get out of this situation. They're now in shelter. What does that look like? Ah, yes. 
So for us, and again, every every survivor is different. Um, so we really try and accommodate every individual because we know, again, every individual is an individual. They're different. Um, and their healing process can be completely different. Um, but for us, for the first the first like few hours that you're there, um, we go over and we meet you one-on-one. Um, our shelter staff and you, you get to know at least a few of us face-to-face. So that way you have that warm, welcoming face. Uh, because so often, I don't know about you all, but when I go into some place and I don't know exactly who's staff, who's not staff, I look around, you know, it is just overwhelming at times. So we want to make sure that you know who to ask things of. Um, in case you're like, hey, where are the bathrooms even? Um, we do give a tour, but as we all know, some buildings are like mazes. <laughs> so sometimes you get confused, <laughs> which is valid. I did as well when I first started here, uh, quite often. I only had one way to get each and every place, <laughs> even though there were a few. <laughs> um, but we give a tour, we meet with you, we go over um, different things like, hey, here's the food, here's our kitchen, um, here's our microwave, and here's how to use it. Here's the um, the refrigerator that everybody can use and please label it. And here's the pens that you can label it with, you know, all of those little things that throughout the years, we know that survivors, shelter guests, they really appreciate hearing and knowing, um, in the beginning. So that way it's not, it, it's easier. It's, it's more inviting. It's more welcoming. Um, we even go through and show our laundry room because uh, we have four washers and four dryers, uh, you know, um, and here's the laundry detergent that we provide. Um, is that OK? Um, and then after that, um, you get to see your own room. Right. Um, and we want to make sure that everything's there for you. So if you need anything else, we're asking what else can we provide for you? What else do you need at this point in time? And then we really after that, we want to make sure that you're able to rest and heal. Um, because you've are, you've gone through such a traumatic experience and leaving takes a lot out of you. So we want to make sure that you have that time to rest and recuperate and regenerate. So Amanda, um, as you know, they've, they've had some time to rest and recuperate. Um, I know one thing about at least like our shelter that sets us off from, you know, a, a homeless shelter is the fact that there are counselors Um, and, you know, we kind of, you know, not right away, but we do try and insist that people want to meet with a counselor or a case manager, um, to kind of start making a plan. So do you want to talk about that? Absolutely. Yes. Because most definitely, I mean, I always feel like a plan, then you know your path, right? It can change any which way, but that way you, you at least know what's what what your focus is moving forward right which a lot of people find calming less anxiety inducing um and it's it's just sometimes better right (laughs) so yeah um within the first few days we would like you to meet with your advocate um which is assigned by our by one of our supervisors um and that way you can go and start to create that plan what what does your life look like after your your relationship your domestic violence situation like what do you envision what does that look like for you and how can we accomplish that how can we help accomplish that um oftentimes it is basic needs related um because you're starting your life over so whether it be employment um because you know you got to pay those bills somehow um even the little ones like getting your hair cut or you know gas for your vehicle if you have a vehicle if you don't even bus tickets right like those everything costs money these days obviously. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, it's also those bigger things like housing, 
how can we get you into a housing program? What does that look like? What's the plan if that doesn't come into place? Because sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, so just trying to go through all of those things to see how, how that looks. Um, in addition to our advocates, we also have a youth advocate to work with your children. Um, whether it be um, going through and making sure that they're okay and helping them process what just happened to even, um, we actually do in the beginning, um, like a little toy pack, depending on how much, what age your kid is. Um, so that way, when you come into shelter as a child, you do have your own toys um, because that is so important. You just left your your whole entire life um, and, and there's just a lot of uncertainty there. So just knowing that you do have something of your own that you can play with, that you enjoy is kind of nice, right? Um, we also do that for birthdays, um, including a, a edible arrangement um, that comes for your birthday as a kid. Um, so that way it's still, we're celebrating, um, which is so important to keep that consistency. So you mentioned when there's someone coming into shelter, so I wanted to jump back just like a little bit, because you mentioned the kids getting like their toy pack and everything. When somebody is entering into shelter and they, they've got their room and everything, what are things that are provided to them so that they know what they're getting because when someone's leaving a domestic violence situation odds are they probably don't have a whole lot of things coming with them so what might be some things that they can expect to get when they enter into shelter absolutely anything and everything um so we automatically provide sheets towels everything like that for your room so that way you don't have to um worry about that um because again, like fleeing, I don't think I would remember to bring my sheet set or some towels that that would not be tops on my list. Um, it just it, it wouldn't. Um, so we provide that. In addition, all of those personal care items. So shampoos, conditioners, lotions, um, soap. We also provide laundry detergent um, and fabric softener. Um, anything, everything that we think of that survivors might need, we try and we try and have um, and include. Again, I, I go with even even paper towels, even toilet paper, all of that stuff we provide. So I also know, just to mention it in here, I also know that you offer them like feminine hygiene products and stuff like that too. So you won't have to worry about that at all. Yep, and it's automatically right in our bathroom, so you don't even have to ask us for it um, because we find there there's a little bit of why should you have to ask for that? Let's just provide it right in the bathroom, take what you need and, and that works the best for us and then um you know things like diapers and wipes and bottles and sip cups and all that stuff as well because we know a lot of people who come into shelters are bringing small children with them absolutely yep any and all of that we absolutely have um, we try and keep even um, some wipes and diapers for, for sensitive skin. Um, we try and be mindful of that because, again, like as your child is, is coming into shelter, again, that is traumatic for everybody involved, uh, mom and, and child or adult, guardian and child. So we want to make sure that, that we're mindful of that as well. Now, what if somebody has a pet? Yes. So most domestic violence organizations can accommodate a, a animal a pet of some sort um, some shelters have pet shelters in their own in their own building um, so I know 
there the one that I work out has three rooms that are designated as pet rooms and then we have three kennels downstairs um as well to accommodate and you know we can accommodate dogs cats guinea pigs fish um what else have we had I, I think we've had a snake once um anything and everything uh we can try the only thing that I don't think we can do is farm animals so so probably no cows or horses uh I don't think we have the space for that but we will try to accommodate in some other way whether it be a foster family or, or trying to figure that out um I know other organizations domestic violence organizations that don't have a kennel in in their building or pet designated rooms they do have organizations and they do work locally with their local either humane society or different um adoption organization like that where they do have fosters that potentially are available so that way you can flee with your pet because those are so important yeah yeah at, at our shelter we do not have a kennel um on site yet we would really like to one day but as of right now um, we just we work with a border and so when someone comes in who you know is needing a place for their pet as well we pay for that boarding so yeah. and i think that's so important to know and to ask because i think that is a huge barrier for individuals still because i i know i have a dog and it would be very difficult for me to leave my my dog yeah they're like family members and we would never want to leave a family member in an abusive situation so if they can't bring them with them that could be a reason they stay yeah and that's also actually one of our questions that we ask during like the request process we ask if they have any accommodations that are needed for pets and you know some people that blows them away they're like what like i there's something that you can do for my pet and um to find out that like yeah your pet can go at a minimum to some place where they're going to be boarded they're going to be safe like it's i know how difficult that still is to not be in the same room with them um, but it is still a safe place that they can be and you know that you will get them back, that you can go visit them, that it's, it's not just leaving them behind. Exactly. And I think that does make domestic violence organizations a little bit different than other homeless shelters because I have not heard of very many homeless shelters having a pet shelter or a boarding, um, agreement of any sort as well, um, which is interesting. All right, so we're in shelter. We have our advocate. We have our room. What does the process look like then for when somebody is working on getting out of the shelter? So we know that, so you can also say like how long someone can stay in shelter because it's emergency shelter. So obviously they cannot live there forever, nor would anybody ever want to, but you mentioned having housing advocates. So what is that process going to look like for a survivor? Absolutely. So um, again, every path is different, but usually, typically what it looks like is in the beginning, as you're working with your advocate, you identify housing as one of those goals that you'd like, right? Which is usually the case because um, housing is very difficult to find and, and affording housing is even harder, um, especially as you're working from, from trying to um, leave a relationship and and just start on your own, right? Um, so first step would be assessing what do you have and what what do we need to help you obtain, whether that be identification documents, um, whether that be um, 
if you have any back utility payments or do you owe any other landlords and what will that look like? Um, because that all impacts the type of housing potentially. Um, and we want to make sure that we set you up for success. Um, so how can we work with that and through that during our time here in shelter? Um, I know most some shelters it's 30 days for us it's 90 days um so every shelter you have a different a different timeline uh, of how fast and how quickly we we ideally would would work through that um but once we have all of those identification documents we know the barriers of what might potentially be be a struggle um or a barrier to housing then we start working on those um if it's utility debt do we want to try and figure out how to pay that off depending on how much it is? Or do we want to try and find a landlord that's willing to include utilities in with that? Um, Cause again, it depends on the, it depends on the housing market too, uh, whether that will even happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but once that happens again, there is a housing referral to any housing programs that we have available um, as well as exterior, because we're not the only ones with housing programs. There's a there's a variety of places, including the local HARA, that might have housing available, housing programs. Um, and we'd like to have you sign up for any and all that you can, um, because again, there's we don't know which one will which which one will even have an opening. So let's not put all of our eggs in one basket. Let's try for everything. Um, but after that, um, if you are pulled for a housing program, then then we work with you to find housing. Um, we have a variety of local landlords that we like to work with um, and that are willing to work with us. They understand the programs. They understand the, you know, all of the aspects of that, um, where you have to be within fair market rent. Um, it has to go through a housing inspection and pass because we don't want to put anybody into a unit that that honestly could be potentially condemned, right? We want to make sure those plumbing pipes are working. We want to make sure those toilets are flushing. Uh, we want to make sure those those electrical outlets are grounded if they should be. Um, just because, again, safety is our number one aspect. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once that happens, um, then then ideally you get to, um, there's the ability to leave shelter in a in a whole house unit. Um, and then we work on those those things to to make a home house or a house a home. Um, so the beds, the furniture, the couches, the pots and pans, um, we can do referrals to our resale store or partnerships throughout the community um, that might have those options. So right. what do some of those housing programs that you have look like? So I know you offer three different ones. So what do those look like? Yes. Um, so the first one that I always start with is our rapid rehousing program. So that's approximately about six months of rental assistance um, where there is a tiered system where you start paying your rent within the first like three months. Um, and then it goes up from, from there where the sixth month you're paying the full rent because we understand that going sometimes going from like paying no rent to paying all rent. That is that is a big difference there even if it's affordable the most affordable we can find that is still um an adjustment for folks right um whenever we all get a different bill whether it be a, you know a car repair or oh no the utilities keep on increasing uh sorry consumers um it just it happens and then you got to adjust and sometimes that's that's hard to to understand and hard to hard to deal with um so ideally that works a little bit more and then we have um and that's usually for folks that already have um employment or they're just starting or they've had it for a while and you know you just need that that help for a little bit of time um so that way you are stable that way you know things are things are going to work out 
Um, and then we have our transitional housing, which is up to two years. Um, and so for that, that that's ideally for those with, with a little bit more barriers, um, whether it be, oh, no, I need to, I want to work on my employment, whether it be going to, um, you know, CNA classes or, you know, tr anything like that where I can increase my, my employability as well as ideally increase that, um, that wage that I'll get. Um, so that way I can survive on my own, <laughs> right? Um, and we have a few different programs within our transitional housing, including um, a few units that we ourselves own. Um, so that way, if you are struggling to find a landlord to rent to you or have some high barriers or safety concerns even, um, we have an option for you. And then um, our third one is our permanent supportive housing. And that's for individuals, um, domestic violence survivors that have some sort of disability of ongoing duration. Um, because we know that that impacts your life significantly at times and um, permanent supportive housing for is for as long as you need because we know that sometimes it might take more than two years um, to find a way to to make a living um, and and live on your own without any sort of housing assistance because you can't necessarily SSI is so tiny right now and bills are increasing and increasing you just you can't live on that um, so trying to find a way for that to happen and the process of getting like that disability and the SSI can take sometimes longer than you know those two years and so you know you're you're waiting on your hearing for your disability and all of a sudden your program runs out and what do you do then you know so having that permanent housing is a huge um, help to some of those people who are in need absolutely so the maybe not as fun question then amanda let's say somebody was an emergency shelter and they decide that they are going to go back to the person that led them to become come into shelter in the first place mm -hmm. are they able to then come back and seek services again or what happens there absolutely they can you can receive services as you are living with with the with the individual that you left right um we just want to make sure that we are there for you and that you're safe um as much as we can so whether that be as you're leaving we do a safety plan and we continue to work with you you know email or text or phone calls um or you come on back in um but either way you can absolutely still receive services and so that 90 days that someone is in shelter so let's say they hit that 90 days they decide they're going to go back to that person. Are they then able to come back, let's say like six months later and say, Hey, I need, I need shelter again. Like, are they able to kind of like redo that 90 day process again? Or is it like, mm, sorry, you were already here for 90 days. Absolutely. You can please come on back whenever you feel like you, you're at that place where you're, you're going to flee the situation please give us a call. Come on back. Um, we don't have limits of how many times you can come back into shelter or how many times or how long you can work with us. Um, we, we don't have those limits because we know that um, relationships are different, difficult and, and interesting and, and we're all human and we're all individuals. Um, and so there, there's no there's no limit. <laughs> please, whenever you feel like we might benefit, please give us a call. Yeah, Not having that limit is super important because 
we know on average it takes about seven times for somebody to fully leave the person who was abusing them. So if there was a limit, like you're only you're only given 90 days forever, like it would be a huge barrier then for people to come and seek services. So it's a good thing that that doesn't exist. So then one last quick question for you, Amanda, because it's one of the main stigmas that are surrounding a lot of domestic violence shelters. Who does the shelter serve? Because people typically think of domestic violence shelters as for women only. Yeah, so we are a all-gender shelter. Um, we accept men, women, non-binary, anybody and everybody. If you are a survivor of domestic violence, we accept you. So please keep that in mind. Most domestic violence shelters are also that way. So even if the shelter in your city is listed as a women's shelter, know that they still most likely serve men, non-binary, trans folk, because... When the shelter was made in like the 50s, that name they chose was probably woman shelter because they were seeing women only. But as times have changed, they're accepting everybody now. So even if it says woman shelter, keep in mind that they also probably serve men and non-binary folk as well. That is literally how I start every presentation for our <laughs> shelter. I say... Don't let our name fool you because our shelter does have women's center in the name. Um, <clears throat> so I, I always preface every single presentation, every conversation I have with the public with we serve all genders and that's just how it is. I can't change the name of the organization. It's really hard to change your name when you have grants and you know different funding sources and they all come up at different times and so it's really difficult to change your name so we're kind of stuck with that 70s uh 70s thought about it being specifically for women but um just to make sure that everyone knows all genders if you receive federal funding in any way you are required to serve all genders of domestic violence victims. So know that, take that information with you in no matter what city you're in, what state you're in, just call and ask. So Amanda, before we sign out then, is there anything else that you would want somebody to know about domestic violence shelters? I would say the one thing is that and there's a lot of stigma and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety coming into shelter because there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, but I think pretty much all domestic violence shelters, we're here for you. Um, so any which way we can, we are here for you. So please, please, please give us a call. Or contact us in any way, really. It doesn't have to be a call. It can be an email. It can be a text message. It can be anything. But please, we're here for you. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. I've really enjoyed the discussion, and hopefully this is has been really helpful and enlightening for our listeners. Um, so please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at TouchySubsPod to keep up to date when we have new content coming out. Email us any questions, comments, or concerns to TouchySubjectsPodcast at gmail.com. And please rate and follow us on your favorite podcast listening app. It really does help the show out. And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge ask and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects. Mm -hmm.